Good morning. Another week without Matt. But I'm here. So are you. Good to uh, have you back uh, here on What the If. If you tuned in accidentally, you might be saying, what the F? Did I say what the F or what the if? I said what the if. What we do here is we take an idea and we say, excuse me, let me, let me restate that. We take the world as it is. Just beach it. Just cool. Just accept it. This is the world. And then we say, what if we could change one thing? What if we could turn off the gravity? I always come back to that. It seems like the most simple example. And by the way, we have a very fun episode called Don't Touch the Gravity Dial. It's got, it's got uh, a rather adorable cover art of a little lamb suddenly flying in the air and asking us, the world, its God, perhaps, mm. by making sounds sheep make, which I won't make. What the if? See, because he's not just saying what if, he's saying what the if, because like something has gone berserk. And that's what we do. We make things go berserk. But we're only allowed to change one thing. That's kind of an old-fashioned rule. Uh, it's kind of one of the rules of thumb, one of the guidelines, one of the foundations of science fiction writing. Actually, any writing, any fiction writing of any kind, you, you want to change as few simple, change as few things as possible, and then follow the ramifications. And that's what we do. But we're doing it not just for entertainment. Oh no, we have a great purpose here. And those of you who've been, uh, if you've tuned in before, hopefully you, you've enjoyed that great purpose, which is to learn science. So this is a show for people who love science, as I do very much, and science fiction, as I also do very much. Plenty of scientists love science fiction, and obviously science fiction writers and readers and uh, viewers, audiences love science. And so by changing one thing, you know, we can... Uh, Learn science by like the we we kind of find out how all the all the ways the uh, the real universe would have to accom would have to change to accommodate this to keep it within our own science. Anyway, it's hard to explain. We say what the if because basically we got a real attitude about it. We feel very strongly. Matt and I feel very strongly. Matt, Professor Matt Stanley, who's usually here, but is currently under a glacier or in some kind of boiling sauna. Uh, some kind of geothermal activity uh, in Iceland, uh, I believe, with a group from NYU where he is a professor. Matt Stanley in Iceland. I am here in Brooklyn, New York. Um, geothermal activity, frank, uh, thankfully, at a minimum, currently. Uh, we did have an earthquake a few months ago, though. Rather exciting. We, uh, the topic at hand is uh, alien abduction. Uh, last week, I, I spoke a little bit about it, and uh, prior to that, we're on a bit of a UFO kick here, because, uh, you know, the uh, New York Times had come out with an article, uh, is it a month ago now? You know, news moves so fast here, I, I have no idea what time is. Um, uh, the New York Times came out with a revelation that the, the uh, U.S. government, the Defense Department, Actually, in, in, in coordination with a private contractor who happens to be a friend of Harry Reid, the um, senator who was uh, leading this program in a way, was, was funding it, was championing it. He helped his friend out with some millions of dollars or is, is from the government. But anyway, private-public partnership, looking at the skies to find... The aliens in our midst. And it begs the question, are the aliens here on some kind of public-private partnership? You know, how are they funding these visits? Do they have to fund? Maybe it's like Star Trek, uh, where there's no money anymore, I think. 
in the 23rd century, there's Starfleet. And it's, it's all just, hey, let's do whatever we want. And uh, let's go to Earth today and mess around with those people. Um, the other question, of course, is, and this is the bigger story that we're following. When Mac comes back, we're going to continue just, to, you know, maybe just one more episode. But what the if aliens are visiting us? First of all, I would be very happy. I think that you would be too. Most people, I think, would be happy. It might be scary. Let's just imagine it. Aliens are here. It's no longer this imaginary thing. It, um, yeah, it's no longer this uh, questionable thing. Now, if you're already a believer, so-called, I guess you're already there. But let, let's, let's take skeptics. Just come step one step closer to me. Just for a moment. Because I'm with you. And let's all open our minds. Let's remember Neil Tyson's warning. You should have an open mind, but not so open that your brain falls out. So have one hand ready just to catch your brain, just in case. But let's imagine the aliens are real. There are UFOs. It's known. Well, actually, hang on a second. Let me stick to my credo of what the if, which is just change one thing. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to say they're here, but everything else about our world is the same, which means that they're here. So that the only thing that's different is we know they are here, okay? You and I know, and everyone around us, our friends, our family, uh, people of all ages, children of all ages know that aliens are here, but the uh, they only show themselves as much as they do now in our real world, right? It's not like we know that aliens are here because a silver UFO landed on the grounds of the Capitol and a giant robot came out named Klaatu and gave us a warning, as in The Day the Earth Stood Still, a fine film. A classic. Uh, by the way, I grew up in Washington, D.C., uh, perhaps with some of you who are some of my friends who may be listening. And, oh, my God, I loved that movie because, you know, we would visit the Capitol and the, the Washington Mall, the grounds in front of the Capitol, where that UFO lands. And, um, oh, it's just been so cool. If that, I, I would have been there. I would have run up. I would have been a crazy kid that ran up and shook Klatu's hand. Um. Giant metal hand. By the way, again, who paid for Clyde? You know, does Clyde get a salary? I don't know. I mean, I would hope so. He's he's doing a very a big mission, actually a risky mission, as it turns out. Uh, the U.S. Army may turn against. Always a problem. King Kong had that problem as well. Don't think King Kong had a salary. Back to our story. Um, you, uh, sorry, aliens are real. UFOs are real. In fact, uh, we no longer need the you. <laughs> so, what the if? What the if? If we knew that they were UFOs, here's another ramification. We could drop the you. <laughs> Would we call them FOs? Yo, I saw another FO today. F what? FO. You know, flying object. But that could be an airplane. Okay, so we need special... We would need a new acronym. I leave that to you, my friend, to um, come up with an acronym. What would that acronym be if it's no longer unidentified? I mean, maybe that particular craft that any one particular person <laughs> looks at. Particulars. A craft you look at. You, it might be unidentified in terms of you don't know what kind is that. In fact, we would start to think, you know, again, keeping everything exactly as we are in our, our world today, the real world, uh, the UFOs would be in various shapes, right? So there would be different kinds. So it might be unidentified in that way until we, um, and here's another thing that would happen. The um, um, scholars, sky watchers would categorize these. And now, in fact, you know, they, they already are, right? If, you, if you're into UFO quote, research. Actually, I apologize. Let me take away those quotes. That was, that was childish of me. 
UFO research. I mean, I, I'm one of you. And I believe that, they, that, by the way, that government program, I'm all for it. I'm for a space program, you know, like NASA, where we end uh, now private programs like uh, Elon Musk and uh, Jeff Bezos are running and others. Richard Branson is running. Um, uh, put money towards getting us into space and, 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 and also unmanned programs, you know, exploring space uh, like JPL, uh, NASA with uh, Jet Propulsion Laboratory does, and uh, the Applied Physics Lab at uh, Johns Hopkins, who's coming up as a real player in the um, exploration uh, market, uh, European Space Agency and so forth, Japanese. A lot of countries getting into it. Um, uh, but, hey, you know, exploring space is part of the deal. And that's why I think when people think about UFO research, they, they often think about NASA. And we've come to also think about the, the Air Force, the United States Air Force. Maybe that's the same way in other countries, too. But anyway, because the Air Force was the one who had done all that, had in the past done all this research. And um, the Defense Department seems to be continuing. It sounds like it's not part of the... Air Force now. So maybe we're getting a little bit more benign. It sounds like we're getting a little bit more benign about our approach to the UFOs. Um, anyway, send me uh, suggestions for what we're going to call the UFOs after they're no longer you. They're no longer unidentified. IFO, identified flying object, that seems kind of silly. Anyway, think about it. It's a fun project. And um, no, it doesn't even need to be an acronym, just a word, you know, whatever. What, what are we going to call it? Colloquially, scientifically, maybe there's a Latin term and then an English term or another term in whatever language you speak, uh, in addition to English, because I assume you're speaking, <laughs> we can at least understand a little bit of what I'm saying. Greetings. Um, I got abducted by an alien last week. On this show, for the, for the purposes of imagination infotain, and infotainment. And I said, look, I'm a documentary filmmaker. By the way, my name is Philip Shane. If I hadn't, I don't think I tossed that out yet. Philip, nice to meet you. I'm Philip. Nice to meet you. What's your feedback at whattheif.com, by the way, is the email you can email us. Or you can just go to our website, whattheif.com. You can see all our, uh, listen to all our episodes there. And there's also a contact page. If you want to just go there, whattheif.com, type it in. And on Twitter, since I'm on this uh, contact list here, uh, what the if show on Twitter. And also on Instagram. And what the if on Facebook. We're all over social media. This is true. This is not a what the if we were all over social media. We are. It's true. It's real. Dig it. I'm a documentary filmmaker by trade, and I've worked on, uh, I got to work on a big uh, UFO documentary um, some years back for uh, ABC News. I also discussed last week, and I'll, I'll talk about a little bit more this week. It was a fantastic adventure, and I learned some things about behind the scenes of telling a UFO story to the world in the news department. We were a little bit more conscious of the news aspect than, than other um, documentaries may have been. Um, if I got abducted, and I think you would too, it's, first of all, I'm bringing my phone with my camera. I'm not bringing my phone because I need to make a call. I'm going to guess I don't get good reception while the UFO is in transit. You'll remember also that our discussion here uh, um, last week was fueled by some tweets I got, uh, some tweet correspondence I had on Twitter with a fellow named Jay who um, said he had been abducted and he had traveled at unbelievable speeds inside the ship. <clears throat> Excuse me. But when I asked him if he took any pictures, because he said he had been to some of the most beautiful places in the universe... Oh, I really want to go there. Um, I mean, I've been to Paris, which is pretty awesome. So, is it better than Paris? Uh, Matt's been to Iceland. He's going to want to know. Is it more spectacular than Iceland? 
But he said, no, they, they couldn't take pictures. Um, and his rationale, we didn't get too deep into that particular aspect, but he said, they pick him up while he's asleep. So I said, you know, I suggested, and I, and I suggest to you and all of us, it's important, humanity, please listen. Go to sleep with a phone, in, with, with your smartphone in your pocket, your camera, something, a sketchbook. I don't know. Well, and the sketches have been done. That's a whole other thing. I learned a lot about that, too, working on this uh, ABC documentary. But, um, so, yeah, sketches don't count, by the way. Sorry. Uh, that's kind of like eyewitness report. Um, eyewitness reports are that credible. Um, they are in a um, court, uh, I guess, because that's the best they get to go on if they don't have video or something like that. And, but science is not, a, you know, your eyewitness account is... Uh, the scientists in this documentary and scientists in all documentaries and scientists in your life at your dinner table will tell you uh, eyewitness accounts are kind of the lowest form of evidence. Um, it's intriguing. It might spur us to do the research, but we, we need hard evidence that we can. And, and until we can project what's in our minds to other people, e even then, I, that wouldn't count, I think, because your brain distorts things. So... Real evidence. Go to sleep with the camera in your pocket. Uh, you, and when you come to the ramp and there's a sign and it says, no photography inside the spaceship, uh, you ignore that as best you can. You know, I'm not saying don't put your, I'm not, I'm not saying put yourself in danger, but I'm saying be a little danger. You know, take one for the team. Earth. Take a picture. If it says no flash photography, flash it, baby. You know, if it's dark, it might be dark. I don't know. Maybe they don't see in the same spectrum that we see. So, you know, a little flash would be kind of cool. Plus, the pictures would be really creepy, probably. <laughs> the flash. Who knows? But it would have kind of a Blair Witch. <laughs> the movie Blair Witch would have a feel like that. Anyway. Um, I would like to get in it. I would like to score an interview with an alien as they would say in the media. Now, I don't, <laughs> I'm sure all reporters would love to do that, and yet it hasn't happened, which is another indication, by the way, that they may not be real, may not be here on Earth, or they're very elusive. Intentionally so, I'm guessing. Um, because with all the paparazzi out there, and all the, quote, investigative reporters, good and the, the spectrum of investigative reporters, um, uh, Somebody would have gotten an alien in, in a parking garage or something. Uh, a hangar at an airport, if the equivalent of a parking garage for UFOs, you know, whatever. So, let's say somebody does that. But the if. Somebody gets an interview. Somebody gets, l let's start slow. Somebody gets, in other words, how did the information come to us? How did we find out? Uh, how, how did we come to be able to say, yeah, there are aliens. We're pretty convinced there's actual real scientifically acceptable evidence and just plain old logically acceptable evidence um, that they're real. So somebody gets, somebody gets, uh, somebody sneaks their phone. Here's a question. Do they have to sneak it? Do we think that the aliens are intentionally keeping us from taking pictures. Now, this is, this is again, uh, what Matt and I are going to follow through with a little bit more, and then we're going to dive a little bit deeper. The question of this, the proposal, my hypothesis in this what the if is that, that look, if they're teased, it feels like they're teasing us, right? It feels like we all, we're just keep getting, you know, it's fringe stuff. People who believe in the paranormal, people who say they, people who genuinely believe a UFO, we put them on the fringe because well, they're not happy about that and not apologize. But we put them on the fringe because they can't give us real evidence so that we can bring them more into the center of the discussion. There's an excellent BBC document, uh, yeah, not a documentary. Anyway, there's a BBC podcast um, that I just listened to about um, how. The theory of a continental drift, 
the idea that the continents on the earth are floating and are, are um, some of them are crashing into each other and others are moving apart. And it's that movement that opens up ruptures sometimes in the crust and, and uh, lava comes flying out of the mantle and through a volcano, you get that. Also earthquakes, all that kind of stuff. Now, actually, all that kind of stuff is important. We can't just throw that away. That was, it, it, it took some time, as with all big scientific revolutions, uh, ideas. Um, you know, there's a big scientific idea, dime, there are a dime a dozen, in some ways. Few of them sneak through to actually become real. So, anyway, there, there's natural skepticism. And there was a lot of skepticism about this, and uh, there were some scientists who were starting to believe this theory as they gathered more evidence. But the body of science, the, the mainstream, said, no, that's crazy. The Earth is fixed. They were called fixers, I think they called it on the show. Anyway, the thing that turned everyone's mind, the thing that allowed all of science to finally say, oh, oh and they didn't do it immediately even, but, but it was... Pretty fast in the scheme of things, eventually. Um, this theory, continental drift, that the continents are moving, explained an enormous amount of stuff. All kinds of stuff. They had this, and, and one of the things that even had helped, it goes hand in hand, what had helped the theory even evolve among real hardworking scientists, although a real minority, but were that in the, after the war, after World War II, we had a lot of ships, and we had developed a lot of sonar um, and, and uh, ways to vision, get, get uh, survey the ocean floors, and they saw giant um, uh, rifts and trenches. And they saw, they began to see, understand the faults that we now think about, the San Andreas Fault that we see on ground. Anyway, all this stuff, volcanoes, the ring of fire around the Pacific Ocean, um, the trench right down the middle of the Pacific Ocean, like the seam of a baseball in a way. The location of earthquakes, all this kind of stuff. Suddenly, we're all, if you, if you allowed yourself, if you opened your mind, by, because the evidence allowed you to, your brain wouldn't fall out. Uh, if it did, put it... Put it back in just for a second and say, wait a second, does this add up? And, you know, suddenly explain so many, many things. Evolution was the same way Darwin's evolution. Suddenly all these things that didn't seem to work together suddenly all make sense. Same for relativity, Einstein's relativity. It explained a lot of phenomenon that were known and uh, suddenly all made sense in this one Theory. Very difficult to understand. Took some time to understand. So the, the aliens seem to be teasing us. <laughs> the aliens are like, look, look, the alien, we, can we agree, you and I, that the aliens have science? <laughs> That's not a given, I guess. Science, you know, they probably have some different science. Maybe they think about things in a completely new way. But to build craft that fly through space, or I actually think more likely, if, if it exists at all, perhaps they're traveling interdimensionally. Now, mathematically, that's perhaps quite complicated. Physically, that's quite complicated interdimensional. But nonetheless, when if you learn about Flatland or uh, the story Flatland, or go back to some other episodes, uh, earlier episodes where we talk about interdimensional uh, travel and interactions between different dimensions... When something comes from a higher dimension into a lower dimension, it would just appear. And so, something just appearing, uh, you know, that is one way to do it. We have no evidence of this actually occurring. We have no photographs. We, have no, we don't have enough data to confirm it. That that's actually what's happening. Nonetheless, if they're doing all this stuff, they got science. They probably even have science fiction, which is pretty awesome. You know, what would alien science fiction be? Would we be in it? Would, when they find Earth, are, are we living up to their excitement? Like when we, 
if we were to find microbes on Mars, as hopefully we will, and Arthur C. Clarke, before he died, said he believed, he went so far as to say, as he could, he was about to die, he threw out another awesome, huge, bold prediction. He was looking at the evidence of uh, how much water had been on Mars and is this day uh, some, some water appears here and there on the surface, but the evidence of the great uh, rivers, flood basins and stuff on Mars. Arthur C. Clarke said, I am now no longer pretty sure that there's some life on Mars, he said, but I'm sure, I think it, the planet is riddled, riddled with it. And then he died. No, it wasn't his very last words, but uh, one of my favorites, one of the greats, Arthur C. Clarke. Um, so he was super excited about the idea of microbes. Mars. Um, even evidence of past microbes would be cool. You know, if you can get that deep, in, if you can get excited by that. Most people can't. And so if we found it, I think it would be revolutionary. There would be a lot of excitement. But, you know, everyone would then, as they do at the end of the Truman Show, be the Truman Show, you know, change the channel start eating pizza, go about their lives. I wonder if when aliens got here, uh, if they did, when aliens got here, they were like, we, did, we just don't live up to, Earth does not live up to their excitement. They've had TV shows or hollow shows or, you know, intracranial broadcast shows. <laughs> Far more exciting than, <laughs> than the Earth you know, they're like, oh, God, there's just these quadrupeds, and they build these things, and they burn stuff, and sometimes they barely get off the earth, and then they fall back down again, and they decide not to go again. Bummer. Is that why they're teasing us? I don't know. <laughs> they're teasing us. Do, do, you, do you agree? I mean, if they want, as we all know, if they wanted to show us the evidence, they would. So the idea is that they're teasing us. So if they're teasing us, that means they're not going to let me take a picture inside the UFO. Um, so I got to sneak it. Now, how badly do they want to keep the secret? That's kind of interesting. Are they killing people? Eh, you know, they're doing terrible things to cows. Those of us who read Omni magazine. <laughs> In the 70s and 80s. 70s or 80s. I think it was the 80s. Anyway, uh, horrible things to cows. Look it up or don't look it up. Gross. Viscerations. Yeah. Um, they're probing people. That's gross. That's weird. They're impregnating people. Look, the list is long. But these aren't things where they have to do with threatening them. I'm sure there are stories. No doubt there are stories, but it feels like it's not quite up there in the mainstream. It's not, not one of the stereotypical stories about um, threat, getting threatened. You know, two aliens show up in black suits, men in black, uh, come to your door and say, look, uh, you might not want to mention, uh, it's a nice house you got here. It'd be a shame if it wound up on Saturn. You know, something like that. Um, and uh, so we're going to continue that story. I know that, that I didn't get too far in this little episode, but I, I want to interject here one thing that I did promise, which was how we, we edited the stories. So when I was editing the documentary, um, UFOs, Seeing is Believing, it's Peter Jennings on ABC News. You can find it online, I believe. Yeah, maybe it's on Netflix or iTunes. I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure it's also just on online. I got to sit down on the very first day, and I saw all these interviews, and as I mentioned last week, I was instantly disappointed by, frankly, the, the, I'll just make it simple, there were a number of things, but the variety of the stories the people told was way more disjointed and various than you see. On One of the things that makes the idea compelling that maybe there's alien abduction. It's, you know, uh, that 
they'll say people are telling the same stories all over the world throughout decades, at least, to the 60s, 1960s. Um, now, there's enough reasons for that you could come up with that just... That's what people people do. They heard these stories, so they, when they start to imagine, they also saw a UFO. They were calling. They were calling. <laughs> the aliens just gave me a call. I said, "Shut up! Don't reveal the secret." Anyway, um, we had these interviews, and um, they were all different. I mean, that should have been interesting. Uh, you know, like, wow, look at all the different ways. It's far more colorful, all the different ways aliens can interact with people as they're telling me their, their quote, eyewitness testimony of what happened to them that mostly came out of hypnosis. That's a whole other thing that, by the way, degrades, in my mind, degrades your testimony even more. Not to mention that went on this documentary, you know, the, the uh, producers and camera people got to film actual, quote, hypnosis sessions. And the, I think if you're skeptical about hypnosis, they look kind of silly no matter what, how much of it you see. When you see the dailies, when you see the uncut footage, it's, it's ridiculous. It's really ridiculous. I'm I'm just not going to beat around the bush. The hypnosis sessions are like, that person is not asleep. That person is not in a trance. And that hypnotist guy, whoever's doing it, um, he doesn't know what he's... It's not scientific. And basically, it's it's like two... Let's just say it was two guys. Um, Although I've seen all, all combinations. But this is it's, it's a male doctor and, and a male, quote, FT patient, whatever you want to call it, hypnotee, hypnotee, hypnotee. Um, it's frankly, it's like they're little boys playing. Now they're not acting childish, but it's like they're playing a game with each other and with us, the audience. You know, um, are they? So I, I see them around the bed. And then the hypnotist says, how many? You know, even that is a somewhat of a leading question. You know what I mean? And and then so the, literally they're making up the stories that go along, honestly. Even if there were some real, quote, real memories from a real experience of sleep paralysis, by the way, <laughs> one correction I have to throw in there. Uh, last week I kept saying sleep apnea was the explanation um, that the Harvard scientists gave after studying um, testimony of alien, quote, alien abductees. Um, they explained it as sleep paralysis. I kept calling it sleep apnea. The wrong thing. Um, at least the, some of the articles I looked up after the show also indicated that sometimes it's, um, people mistakenly use the term sleep apnea. It's sleep paralysis, you wake up and you're not quite fully awake. You're still, in a way, part of you is in, in dream world in which your body is immobilized so you don't move around during your dreams. And uh, then you also have the sense of a presence around you. And that can happen. It's a psychological phenomenon. You're not being abducted by aliens. Um, by the way, some video of, just video of you leaving the bedroom, right? I mean, that, that would take no effort at all. I mean, put your phone on the dresser, prop it up against something, let it run all night, and be awesome. In fact, in the what the if scenario, we've got to say, this is what we would see. We would see a person, at the very least, the least dramatic thing would be they disappear from their bed on the video. You could even slow down that video frame by frame and see, you know, was it instantaneous disappearance or was it like they were they slowly being beamed up to the enterprise? You know, or did a huge spotlight suddenly come through the ceiling and pull them up through the ceiling? Also pretty cool. I always wonder, by the way, if you know, do you have to be on the top floor for that to happen? And if not, 
what happens to the people on the up <laughs> the floor between you and the roof. But again, in our um, this is what's <laughs> this is what I love about our thing. What if scenarios? Imagine that that kind of has to be accounted for, right? And you know. Um, I don't believe it's people who live on the top floor who are getting abducted. Who People on the top floor, not saying I have undue respect for people on the top floors of buildings, but uh, let's just say that's probably the most expensive apartment. And most of the people who are giving this testimony are not the people who live in the most expensive apartment. You know, um, I, I only say that not out of some classist... Uh, <laughs> statement uh no, no disrespect i'm just saying that if if the top if if you had to be on the top floor if that was part of the thing then it, there'd be this bizarre consistency of all these people they all lived on the top floor and then what would happen people would you know that would be a selling point for the realtor right it'd be like look on the top floor uh we've had some alien abductions here uh, if if that's your thing, you know, go for it. That'd be one of the things, you know. You've got a magnificent view of the city. You've got a beautiful balcony. You've got floor-to-ceiling glass. Uh, just for ordinary enjoyment of the spectacular view, but also imagine the view when the UFO comes to get you from the top floor. Oh, by the way, thinking of the windows, I suppose, although you don't hear about this, UFO coming up, maybe maybe you live on the fifth floor. Maybe the twentieth floor, let's say, of a forty-story building. I suppose the UFO could come up to your floor level and pull you out. But again, every you know, it's the thing of everybody watching that doesn't make any sense. And so that brings, by the way, that that, that brings us back around to I'll, I'll tighten this up here, button it up. And, and I'm excited to get to Matt uh, next week and, and continue this theory. He'll, he'll have a lot more in-depth um, insight into the actual scientific laws that may be broken here. Um, or, or, or bizarre ramifications we would have to see uh, happening if this is all real. Um, but we have to say that they, they the, look, the aliens, in this what-the-if scenario, the aliens are real. They're here. And everything else about our world is the same, which means that you don't see them in cities, right? You don't have widespread um, visions of the UFO that came and got this abductee or that abductee that night. Um, either they're like doing a, you know, massive mind wipe that. Again, you could test for that, I think. Because suppose they did a mind wipe of like, a, like how big a radius would they have to wipe minds so that nobody sees? No, so no one remembers that they saw. You know, let's say a UFO comes down in Manhattan, lower Manhattan, as was reported by some people. Yes, people have been abducted from lower Manhattan. Into space. I mean, I'm sure all horrible things have happened. Tragic. But uh, uh, alien abductions. Uh, you know, we'll make it a little more ordinary. Let's go to Brooklyn. It's a little more low-rise thing. But, you know, you know what? A tip, let's just, look, let's, I'm going to make it as easy as possible. A typical, stereotypical Spielberg neighborhood, suburban neighborhood. UFO comes down, right? Cookie cutter, tiny boxes. That's there's a song, little boxes, tiny boxes, about suburbia, and uh, Edward Scissorhands, suburbia or su suburbia like I grew up in, and um, UFO comes down. How far can that UFO be seen? That UFO is the size of, is it the size of the house? I mean, it's got to be right. It would, unless it was like a shuttlecraft from the mothership, which is possible. So a shuttlecraft, I'm going to give this the best shot possible. Shuttlecraft 
big enough for what? Two. I mean, the minimum's going to be two. There's an alien in it. You know what? Let's go even further. It's uh, actually in, in, in um, Childhood's End, the great Arthur C. Clarke novel about uh, visitation by aliens in spaceship. Read it if you have not read it. Amazing. A quick read. Amazing story. Fun story. Um, there, the aliens send down like just a pod that's big enough for one person. So a pod comes down. I mean, somebody's going to see it. Or are you going to say it's invisible? You know, unless that, that's what you have to do. You have to have cloaking. Okay. Cloaking devices are on. There would, not only is there a cloaking device, but there's a perfect cloaking device. And this breaks, I mean, the, the, here's something where Matt can help us. What the hell is the technology that you would have to do to do a perfect cloaking? I know people are working on it. People are working on it. Trying to make things like uh, Harry, Harry Potter's invisibility blanket. Um, but there, there, there are things we could really test. Now, maybe no one's doing that testing, and this is where I say again. I am with the UFO believers, UFO believers, UFO researchers, supporters. I'm a UFO researcher supporter. I'm a URS. And, um, you know, I, I think that you can probably, unfortunately, because uh, I really want this to be real. Love to meet the aliens. Bring down your cloaking device. But, uh, Probably by just interviewing the person, you might be able to rule out a good number of the stories. Yeah, look, let's just say it's like Project Blue Book. There's a certain number of stories that just resist explanation, and they're still tantalizing. Throw everything we got at that. I mean, I, that, I'm with you. Even Greer from the Disclosure Project. I don't know who you are. Whoever's doing it, let's kickstart. Let's do a Kickstarter. Um, like a GoFundMe. G-U-F-O fund me. Work on it. Work on the, work on the branding. Um, and and let's, let's, get some, let's get some research. Um, just to, get, <laughs> to finish the editing story, I heard all these interviews with, ali with aliens. Woo, someday, someday. All these interviews with so-called alien abductees who had pretty, some had pretty terrifying experiences. You could see it. You can see that they really had something scary. Others, not so much. They enjoyed telling their story, I think, on television and probably at the bar. But uh, they were very, very varied, except for they included some of the, you know, the stereotypical elements. A saucer-shaped craft. A ramp, perhaps. Uh, or I just woke up in the middle of this thing, but it was a round room. Um uh, you, you know the stereotypical stuff. Uh, the big heads, the grays, the big eyes, the small mouth. They spoke to me telepathically, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but that's like, I don't know, less than 10% maybe of what they said. Now, I'm, I'm just, you could put that either way. You could say, wow, but that says something about the truth. All I'm getting to is that what makes these UFO stories so compelling is the consistency of the stories. And I got a bunch of this, and what we do is when we start to edit, you screen all the interviews, you watch all the interviews, and you mark the parts that jumped out at you as interesting. So I did that. And then, I, and then you just sort of cut those pieces that jumped out at you, you know, call it the best, the, the most interesting moments from, you know, hours of interviews. So literally, like maybe I had 15 hours of, of interviews, but probably way more. Uh, but 15, let's say 20 hours is a nice round number. And then I mark it, and then usually it's like, you know, you pull out maybe half of that. Oh, you like that. And you keep, you keep whittling it down. And uh, at the end, you kind of look at what you got. And <laughs> I kind of blew my own mind when I watched it, and I realized... Oh my God, OMG, I have pulled out all the stereotypical things and strung them together 
And suddenly I watched a sequence, you know, a scene, whatever you want to call it, of uh, interviews, you know, people talking one after the other, sometimes coming back to another, you know, intercut, intercut, a bunch of people talking, um, telling a story. And because I had pulled out the most, uh, let's say, stereotypical stuff, says something about that. That's what, you know, there, there's why those things exist. Because those are the compelling elements of the story that come out. And then I'd strung them together. And so all these people were telling the same story. You know, you can do that with editing, right? And I, I had to laugh. But I also thought I just felt like really creeped out and guilty in a way. Like, oh my God, it's so easy to do that, to take widespread testimony, long testimony from many people, which becomes, if each person's testimony is long and then you do a whole bunch of people, you got really tons of words and, and looks, if it's a video, from the people. And you put it together and it's like, ooh, you know, it feels like a story. It feels like they're all telling the same story. Now, when you really are telling the same story, let's say people really witnessed an actual event, um, then, you know, I suppose like the Kennedy assassination comes to mind for some terrible reason. And, uh, you could cut all their stories together and, and you might find some inconsistencies. Those would be interesting too, but there'd be a lot of similarities. You know, I was standing here, the car came around the corner, um, and then cut to another person. Yeah. The car came around the corner and everybody started cheering, you know, and, and you could have a bunch of people telling this story as it happened. And throw in a little bit of difference, you know. You know um, I didn't. I heard a sound from behind me, um, and someone else said, "I I didn't hear a sound. I thought the sound was over there, pointing to the." Um, but nonetheless, the vast amount of this, the detail that they're going to tell is the same. Now imagine that's an alien abduction. Now imagine people are telling actually different alien abduction stories over the course of many, many, many years in different countries. And the people, you know, um, uh, you can cut those together in a way, and if you're not paying attention, or even worse, we were not doing this. Thank you very much. If that's your intention, it's a breeze, <laughs> you know, um, to cut together what appears to be a story. Um, I promised that I would talk about military, military pilots. And uh, I'm, I'm out of time today, so I apologize for that. But I, I do want to talk about it more. Um, let me know. Feedback at whattheif.com if you're really intrigued and you want to hear. And what kind of detail would you like to hear the stories of the military pilots that I uh, edited and the producers I was working with were investigating and the reporters. Uh, they're very compelling, but ultimately I felt like I'll just, I can say that someone who's like a, a wide-eyed, basically UFO believer or, you know, paranormal believer or someone who's not that into science can become a pilot of a plane. Science and logic are different things. Now, you know, you could get into... <laughs> level of that in it because they're trained and, and all that kind of stuff but I think maybe that masks the idea that you know what you can get you can get dreamers as pilots in the military I'm just saying also if you fly very long missions in the middle of the night in the most freezing parts of the universe you can see weird stuff and if you're a dreamer you can start to see more weird stuff now the, the radar stuff is, is always um, tricky because there seems to be some record of something there but uh, I don't know, have we seen things where somebody saw something out the window and on the radar at the same time very often what happens is I believe happened in some of the military cases we uh, covered there was something on the radar and the people got all excited about that and a, a lot of times the plane sees it on the radar but the ground station doesn't sometimes you do get both so let's say let's say you know both the ground station and the uh, air traffic controllers and the people on the plane all see this, this some same dot on radar at the same place that's there but then it 
at a totally different time in the flight, the pilot or some co-pilot or somebody up front sees a UFO, like sees lights. And then when he remembers those lights, he remembers it as a very distinct craft. Um, They want me to pay my credit card or something. I don't know. Uh, that's how they fund me. <laughs> that's how the alien space program is funded. It's through the debt in America <laughs> that, that the world cares. Um, paying it off of aliens. The aliens are here to take it. That's why they're here. They're here to get their money. So, um, lastly, I'll just say about the military pilots that, you know, I think that there's also uh, something you can't ignore which is an impulse they are military pilots they do need to sound like what they saw is real and some of them leave it as like ooh I don't know like the guys who uh, uh, <laughs> the pilots who recorded the video that, that the New York Times posted have said uh, uh, I don't know what it was one guy said I don't, I don't know what it was but I want to fly it <laughs> such an amazing topic <laughs> you know, compelling um, because you want to believe but it don't it's also very spooky I think ultimately it's the spookiness that gets it thank you for listening um, an unusual episode of what the if because Matt isn't here but uh, a really compelling topic which will continue um, in a little more comedic and a little bit more scientific fashion next week Happy New Year to everybody. If you're listening to this when the New Year just uh, turned to 2018 here on planet Earth, um, in, at least in the calendar, in one of the calendars that people follow on the Earth, 2018. If you're not listening right after New Year's 2018, uh, have no fear. I'm going to predict that there's another New Year's coming for you. And for us, you know, well, there's going to be another New Year. This is a bold claim, but what the if there weren't? What would that mean? I don't know. It's crazy. That's what happens on what the if. Um, send me feedback. Feedback at whattheif.com. Listen to all our episodes on whattheif.com. Say hello on Twitter. And follow Twitter. I share a lot of fun things, and people share stuff with me, too. Uh, with the show. Uh, beautiful photographs of space and uh, fun fun news and fascinating news and just quips and reactions and things like that discuss the sh discuss the episodes you know on twitter what the if show what the if show all one word um, we are also on facebook so check us out there what the if wherever you see the little red logo you'll find quality products of what the if hope you have a great week Matt will reemerge from his geothermal vent, from his fortress of solitude in Iceland, and uh, we'll all be back together next week. We can all say together, what the... Uh, <laughs> Bye now.